Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome back to the Schmo Zone. This is episode number 59 from our hotel room in Seattle. How are we doing, everybody? I'm Dave Schmolenson, a.k.a. The Schmo. My co-host is... Helen Yee with Helen Yee Sports. Good morning. Good morning, or good afternoon, or good evening, depending on what time you are listening or watching. We are sitting right up here on the windowsill on the 36th floor of our hotel room overlooking the beautiful city of Seattle. I know. It's very beautiful. Hasn't rained yet, the weather's been nice, and this is actually the second time that we've been pretty high this week. Yes, and she is not talking about drugs. She's talking about elevation. She's talking about a great hiking trip we just had in Zion National Park for my birthday. We'll get to that shortly, but why are we here in Seattle, Helen? For the one and only Demetrius Johnson. He has a fight coming up on April 7th at 1 on TNT. And it's always great to catch up with him because we were at his fight in Tokyo, October 2019. Yes, and that's when he won the one championship flyweight Grand Prix. And now he's got a tall task against Adriano Marias, who is the current one champion flyweight champion. And so we're catching up with DJ as he gets ready. He's gearing up for that fight, which is in less than a month's time uh, over in Singapore. But it will be here on primetime TNT April 7th. So uh, tune in for that. It's always great catching up with the legend. One of the greatest to ever do a pound for pound top four, top three MMA fighter of all time. Yeah. Why don't you guys let us know, where do you think Demetrius Johnson ranks in the all-time greatest, right? I've seen it all, like where people say he's the GOAT or he's top two, he's top three. He's he's in my Mount Rushmore. Oh, absolutely. And definitely in mine as well. And it was pretty cool to kind of experience and see where he trains here in Seattle a bit farther out from where we're staying, um, but it's surrounded by a lot of trees. It's kind of, it feels like in the woods. It's in the wilderness. Uh, we'll play that interview shortly, but let's get right into it. Um, let's talk about what we just did. We uh, hiked Zion for my birthday. That was a lot of fun. And look, going into it, I had no idea what any trails uh, were. That was our first time in Zion. I messaged Jeff Sinclair, shout out to him. He's the videographer for uh, Israel Adesanya and some other fighters as well. But uh, I know he works closely with Izzy and their team. They had just hiked Zion a week ago, a week before us. And I asked him for recommendations. He gave me two trails. This Angel's Landing, which is the one we did, was the first one he wrote down. I'm like, it's the first trail he recommended. I saw it. And then when we uh, went to Zion, we looked at the maps, we looked at the trails, I targeted it. And I really had no idea what we were going up against until we were literally up at the top of the mountain and uh, started uh, climbing with chains. I know. And I think at first, 
and I don't know if many of you have hiked Angel's Landing or been to the very top, but it started off like a paved pathway. And I was like, oh, wow, you know, in the incline, it's pretty steep. It was uh, a good hike so far. And then all of a sudden, when we got to that point where it kind of divides, um, and then they're like, oh, you go this way. And then that lady that... Uh, what ma- what are you saying divides? Remember, it divides into multiple... Two different paths, yeah. two different trails. And then you got to choose your trail. And I know you were gung-ho on the Angel's Landing one. So then we went down that one and then we got up to a point where there are more people and we're like, oh, are we, we must be here. Like, okay, this is it. And then that lady was like, oh no, like you go up this way and there's chains. And I remember you're like, do we have to use it? And she's like, it's recommended. And then in my mind, I'm like chains, because again, I've never been to Zion either. I know it's like a close drive to Vegas and I've never been there in my life. And so in my mind, I'm like chains, like, uh, what could this be? And then I saw it and I was like, okay, yeah, I'm using the chains. And I was like the whole time, like you were brave. You were just like running and you climbed pretty quick. But me, I was like squatting, like my palms are sweaty and yeah, <laughs> at the end of the day, my mindset's simple. If humans make this, as in they made some grooves, some steps, they engraved it in the mountain, then you can climb it. And what I'm used to is at Camelback, at uh, Echo Echo Park or Echo Canyon, Echo Trail. It's Echo something in Camelback Mountain in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. They don't have chains, but they have metal poles to go up that route. So, I mean, when I saw chains, I'm like, eh, I've seen metal poles before. They're bolted into the mountain. Um, it was fun. That last half mile, that was where all the money was. Great steep inclines. And hey, we got to see some snow. My favorite part about the hike was throwing snowballs at you as you were going up and going down because there's some fresh snow along the sides of the rocks. Oh my <laughs> gosh. It, it was so scary because when you asked me, like, oh, are you afraid of heights? And I've been on hikes before. I mean, never to this extent and never having to hold chains. But I've never, like, been so close to the edge. And then you you look down and you're like, oh, my gosh, like, one wrong move. So then I'm thinking what our trainer is telling us when we're working out, like some of those workouts, you're like, oh, just stare at an object, just focus on an object in front of you. So I was like, okay, just don't look down. But it was really scary. Of course. Um, And then of course, when we go back into the hotel room, you're Googling it. I had no idea what this hike's all about. Uh, People are commenting, oh man, that's Angel's Landing. And I didn't know it had this like notorious type prestige behind it. And then you're like, oh, did you see it? Two weeks ago, somebody fell and they died. 15 people have died doing this hike. Like, I don't think about that type of stuff. But of course, you pointed that out. Well, I had no idea either. I just knew my sister also recommended along with Jeff, of course, but she was like, yeah, do Angel's Landing, but it's really scary. And I was, again, I was thinking like, oh, I've done hikes in my life. No, not like this. And you mentioned the Camelback one. Was that one is high up? I'm not sure. Uh, This elevation, what'd you say? We got to about almost 1600 feet. Uh, That's what my watch said. I don't think it's as high, but it's uh, it's you know, 
and it no, it's this is probably a higher elevation. This was a more challenging hike. It was more. It was probably the most challenging hike I've done to date. I'm not going to deny that. But the views are worth it, and if you ever want to experience it, just hang tight on the chains. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I definitely recommend it. We recommend it. Yeah. Check it out. Uh, go out there. Go explore the wilderness, man. The uh, the southwest part of the United States. You know, coming from Chicago and the Midwest. Um, suburb of Chicago, if, if people want to be nitpicky, 25 miles out of the city. Uh, I didn't experience mountains like this. So I love the warm weather. I love just the Southwest terrain and I guess the Pacific Northwest too here in Seattle. I love as well. But look, this is my first time in Seattle, your first time in Seattle. I know we're going through a pandemic. I think the food is absolutely amazing. I'm sure this city's got crazy buzz, but I can't ignore something like I mean, I'm sure all these cities in the, our country are hit hard through COVID, but the homelessness, literally, there's more homeless people on the sidewalks and streets because we like to walk everywhere, especially in New City, than pedestrians. There's more homeless people than pedestrians on the streets here in Seattle. That's crazy. Yeah, I think I could count on one hand, like how many people like that we walked by that were not homeless. It's a real problem. I know it's a huge problem in California. I think that someone I look up to, Joe Rogan, always talks about it. Uh, in Austin, where he lives in Texas, it's growing. He talked about it in California. My older brother lives there. Where I used to live in California, um, like West LA, the Brentwood area, I lived there for like over five years. That There's the VA area over there. It's tent city. There used to be just a few homeless people down. There's just rows and rows of tents. It's a problem and no one in this country seems to really address it and have solutions for it, especially the politicians, lawmakers. Um, it needs to get figured out. And I don't know what that answer is. I don't know what that solution is, but it just seems like too many people don't give up shit. And it's pretty sad. It is very sad. And before the pandemic hit, I used to always go downtown in Las Vegas to volunteer. And the one I volunteered was LV Rescue Mission. And I would feed the homeless in the soup kitchen. But just I would also talk to them and try to understand them or get to know like why they're in that position. And just hearing some of their stories, it's really sad. I mean, we've gone over this so many different times. Like, I think uh, the judicial system is extremely corrupt in many ways, and there's no rehabilitation, especially for people that have been incarcerated, that um, whether it's drug-related or just kind of had no way out, that have kind of just been, you know, uh, they've been misrepresented in the system and the system's failed, um, there's no way for them to climb out and have hope and get out of the fox hill and have a normal life. And some people just resort to the streets. And who knows what the reasoning is? It could be from a variety, a multitude, but um, it's a problem. It needs to be addressed. And I don't know what the answer is. But outside of that, I know the city's beautiful. And it'd be nice to see this outside of the pandemic. And I know things are on the up and up. But um, we'll definitely be back here. Yeah. And something you did mention as well. And I am glad that you brought up the homeless side. And hopefully, like you said, it it is something that um, maybe they can find a solution. Hopefully there will be a solution for that because it, it, it is very, very sad. And walking down the streets and literally like everywhere you turn, everywhere you look. Um, but 
Uh, like you mentioned, yeah, we will be back here in Seattle. The food was really good. The seafood, obviously, very good. We tried the coffee. And how about that calzone, though, that oh, you ordered last night? Well, last night we walked the city a bunch and uh, things started closing down because we were uh, putting up our DJ interviews. We both yeah. interviewed. So like we did with Eddie Alvarez, we both interview Eddie Alvarez, you as yourself, the schmo interviewed him. Uh, as well. And then we sat down at AMC, the new AMC they're working on, DJ's Gym. Yeah. Uh, and we do the podcast, which we'll play here shortly. Uh, then we are looking for food late night. Nothing's open. And then we come across a pizza place. And then, yeah, I ordered a calzone and I was feeling it in the workout I just did an hour and a half ago. Well, <laughs> and props to you for working out when I was sleeping. Because I was still digesting that pizza, okay? So I order the pizza, and afterwards it comes in two boxes, like a small box and like a huge box. And if you followed me for a while, you know, like I love my pizza. So I grabbed the big box thinking, oh, that's my pizza. Like I, I'm ready to freaking eat the whole thing. And then I open it, and it's your calzone. It was like this big. Yeah. Like the size of a freaking large pizza. That was huge. And what's even better is you finished it. Of course. <laughs> Look, I'm a plate cleaner. You put food in front of me, especially something like a calzone, I'm going to finish it. And I don't eat that all the time. But hey, um, one in Seattle, right? But I'm the one that weighed <laughs> 217 pounds. I don't even think you broke 200, right? At your one, my heaviest is 196. Oh. And that was in college. And I, I had to eat a lot and lift a lot to get that big. Uh, but uh, speaking of lifting and speaking of everything else, let's talk about today's sponsors. Talk about them all the time. Start with Sheath Underwear, the most comfortable underwear on the planet. The anatomical isolation pouch for the balls. Wear them underneath my shorts when I'm working out. Wear them every single day, even if I'm not working you out. You really do wear them every single day. And hey, we even brought a pair for Demetrius Johnson so he can enjoy everything sheath-related. Check them out. Use the promo code SHMO. Get 20% off at checkout at sheathunderwear.com. You won't be disappointed. And the other sponsor for today is Egg Weights. The only hand weights in the world that can mold right into your palm of your hand. They have the one pound set up to the five pound set, different shapes, heavy, dense metals that are amazing, that are great for just jogging, shadow boxing. Add them to your repertoire for exercise. Give a pair to DJ Mighty Mouse as well. I know he's been looking to try those. You should too. Eggweights.com. Use the promo code SHMO10 to get 10% off at checkout. Add that to your repertoire for working out. All that extra resistance will just help you in the long run. Yes, and a little bit goes a long way. So you could start small, like even, and I talk about this all the time too, even in the beginning, you know, with P90X and us um, obviously being in quarantine or throughout the pandemic, when I couldn't lift as heavy as I could now, and even like with the five pounds or the 10 pounds, the egg weights, it starts what, like you could have the two pounds, that's what I was using. And it really made a difference. Yeah, just I, I, I love using those things. I've, there's only so many different ways to implement them in the workout and just having extra weight in your hands that you don't have to work about worry about bulky like dumbbells or anything like that sticking out that could just you can hold right there in your palm and I love the finger grip. It just works. Add that to the repertoire. So 
DJ Mighty Mouse Johnson. Shall we play it? Let's do it. Episode 59 of the Schmozone Podcast with the future Hall of Famer Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson here at AMC in Washington. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Of course. You're buying your son an exhaust. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, my son just recently got in a dirt bike. We bought him a dirt bike, 35cc for Christmas. And, you know, one thing we've always wanted to do as parents is kind of cater to their interests, right? And whatever I can do to get him outside instead of playing video games, I'm always going to, you know, push for it. So he's in a dirt biking and he doesn't like the way his exhaust sounds. He rides a Honda Honda CR50F. So it's kind of like the the very um, entry bike for young riders. And so he he wants a new exhaust. I was like, oh, I'll give him a new exhaust. Why not? Do you feel like the more fights you have, the more money you make, the higher the asks from the kids? No, no, no. When they ask for stuff, I was like, dog, I haven't found a while. I need to go make some money. So, I, I mean, we're very honest with the kids and, and tell them, you know, like money doesn't grow off trees and daddy has to work. Or they're like, hey, dad, the new Fortnite patch just came out. Can I get some money? I was like, dog, I'm broke. I ain't got no money. So I, I try to, you know, let them know that they're privileged kids, but they're not overly privileged. Course. But you mentioned um, anything to get them from being inside and gaming. You're a huge gamer. Do you ever play against your kids? Um, I, I don't play against them because I'll just mop the floor with them. I do play with them um, occasionally, um, but lately I haven't just because I've been so busy with uh, training and work. I want to ask you a couple of questions a little off off the path, but still MMA related. There's a lot going on right now with these MMA gloves and the eye pokes because everyone talked about what just Leon happened. Edwards, Leon Bilal Edwards, Bilal Muhammad. And I know the way that the UFC gloves are angled. You're, you know, if you have your hand in a relaxed position, you could poke someone's eyes. Do you notice the difference in gloves that you have with one championship? And also, are you a fan of changing the current structure of the gloves? I'm, I'm always been, if, I mean, to. Yes, I'm a big fan of one championship glove. It's the Fairtex gloves. They're very good gloves. I think the best gloves out there on the market were pretty much the Pride gloves. Actually, Matt has a, actually Matt has a pair of it right now. Those are my favorite gloves because every single thumb gloves me. Bring them in here. Perfect timing. Yeah. Um, the reason why I love these gloves is because every single one of the fingers has its own essentially compartment, right? Where if I'm here, and I, obviously you can open your hands or whatever, but that's, you can't avoid that. But every single finger has its own um, kind of thing. And then usually, I think the UFC gloves or other gloves, they kind of cut off right about here. So if I throw a hook and it comes up short, which it happens in a fight, I'm going to be blasting with my knuckles and a little bit of my fingers. Where this, it's a great, you know, 90-degree surface where it lands flush. So these are, I have always been my favorite gloves. Then again, it does, you know, open up my palms so I still can get those eye pokes. It's the nature of the business, right? It's, it's you know, when you're, when you're doing this, Muay Thai, you're, you're grabbing. Because you, you don't have a glove that's going to force your hand to close because you need your hands open to be able to push, move, to even get an elbow, the perfect elbow is, you know, touch, your, touch here and go there. So, but these ones have always been my favorite. I'll, I'll take this to the grave. Like, I have a pair of these. I don't even use them because the, the, the design of them are, are perfect. 
Well, what do you think it needs to take for them to kind of implement them or new design of gloves? Um, you know, I honestly don't know. I, I truly don't know. I'm sure there's some trademarks and patent. You know, I heard uh, Trevor Whitman has a pair of gloves that forces your hand to close, really. I haven't seen the glove, but I'm just going off what I've heard on, from, you know, uh, around the world. But I, I'm not sure, to be honest with you. We plan on asking Trevor Whitman sometime in the near future. Well, something else, I follow you on Twitter, and speaking of like gloves and also other controversies, in that 135-pound division in the UFC, uh, Aljamain Sterling, you know, his stoppage and what Peter Yan did, what do you make of that? I mean, you, there's two sides of the coin, right? I think Peter Yan made it, you know, a big mistake. He was winning that fight. The fight was going in his favor. And there's other options he could have done, right, to, to not put himself in that predicament, take his back or whatever. But, you know, the second thing, how I've been raised, you know, under my coach's, uh, you know, training, how he trains me is that, you know, if you're there, you know, I, I've gone with this in the past. When I fought another athlete, he was using that down, down opponent to stall the fight, right? And my coach is like, how, if this is a fight, how can one person dictate the other athlete's moves, right? Like, there shouldn't be a way or form where if I just go, if I'm on my knees, if I touch the ground like this, that shouldn't consider me a down opponent, right? I'm totally capable of, aware of what I can do and how I move. But I'm putting myself in a, quote unquote, what Ajahn Sterling said, a safe position. When he said that, I was like, you're in a fight, you shouldn't be safe anywhere. Right? It's like when I go in a gunfight, it's not a gunfight, oh, I'm not even going there. But he said, I'm in a safe position when I'm, when I'm on my knees and I'm, I'm on my knees, I'm in a safe position. That's like the mindset that he, sh when he said that, I was like, you're, you're trying to put yourself in a safe position when you're on your knees, you shouldn't be safe. You're in a position where you can take damage. So with that being said, when the knee landed on Adam Sterling one, it's just like the, back in wrestling. You shouldn't have been in the first place. That's what our wrestling coach always say. You shouldn't have been in the first place. You got cradled because you, 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 you slacked. You, didn't, you, you hesitated. And he put you in the cradle and he, you know, thing. So don't be there in the first place. You shouldn't have been in the first place. Um, he gassed. This is his first title fight. Um, and you know what? You know, he, he's using it to his advantage. He's really, you know, shooting up this stuff and podcasts and Twitter and just running with it. So. So if you're Aljamain Sterling, you put yourself in his shoes, do you feel like the Bantamweight champion? Do you hold that belt up high? You know, honestly, I don't know because I've never been in his shoes. I never, I never put myself in that position in any of my fights where, you know, now that I fight for one championship, there are knees to the ground. And even, you know, in my earlier days competing in mixed martial arts, uh, you know, my coach, he would, you know, do soccer kicks and stomps and knees to the head. And he was like, this is what it was back in Pride. So why don't we just train to, to do it? So someone that you fought before Dominic Cruz, uh, he recently fought. And then after his win over Casey Kenny, he kind of calls out monster or oh Hans. Yeah, yeah he calls yeah. out Hans, yeah with the monster what'd you make of that call out yeah so i don't really know the whole stipulation about that um only know i saw what dana said about it and i saw what dominic Cruz said about it and i'm not too sure don't know the whole context about it but i mean if he if he wants to fight hans go ahead fight hans i guess well the situation's different too because you know they have the reebok deal which is now switching to venom next month we'll get to that in one second but with one championship you get to have your other sponsors you know in other organizations you get to wear your other sponsors which the ufc used to be able to do when your early days of competing yeah absolutely i mean and i'm gonna be straightforward and honest when it comes to this like when it 
as as a flyweight guy, when it came to the Reebok deal, before I had the, you know, I had Xbox and all that stuff. That stuff was all great. And for me as an athlete, I don't want to focus on running out of there, try to grab sponsors left and right and here and there. Like it's it's a big hassle. And there's sponsors I've had that haven't even paid me before, right? So it, it's it's part of the game. But the one thing I will say about the Reebok deal is that, you know, as a champion, I was making 40 G's just stepping in the, stepping in the cage. That was 40 G's guaranteed, no ifs ands or buts. As a champion, then you know it does go by tier. Now the guys who are just stepping into that that uniform thing and they're getting 2500 bucks that's kind of fucking bullshit not gonna lie to you because i can go out there and get make more money off you know other sponsorships than 25 so i feel when it comes to that right there you should be able to like negotiate something different like hey this is what i did have before can you guys match me or let me have these sponsors so i feel that it should be open marketplace right it shouldn't be you know confined into one thing like if a person could bring more money to the table for themselves you should allow that athlete to do it if they cannot then give them the options well you're going to use venom or you're going to use reebok or whatever it may be that's i think that's a fair play especially since we are self-contractors so do you think the venom partnership will be more of a continuation of what they built with reebok or do you see more freedom with athletes evolving over time you know what to be honest with you i have no idea because i've never seen the contract i'm not part of a company anymore but as if I was to speculate, I would assume it would be just just like the Reebok because it's I'm sure it's a structured way, certain seven year. I don't know how long the deal is, but for me being around the sport and being in the sport when that Reebok deal got launched, um, I'm sure it's going to be same structure. Well, like I told you in our interview, you're one of the greatest of, of all time. Many people, fans all over the world consider you the greatest. Um, someone else that's always talked about being one of the greatest is Habib. He made a post today about, quote, send me location, and he met with Lorenzo Fertitta. Do you think that he'll be making a return? You know, I'm not sure. You know, Habib, I would say Habib is one of the greatest lightweights of all time. I think for me, I wanted to see more activity from him, um, just more activity. But obviously he was, you know, plagued with injuries, you know, back of injury after injury after injury uh but we'll see what happens you know i know habib said he wanted to retire um and he's waiting that was his mom's blessing and totally respect that and for him you know it's not a money thing he's like what what i come back for fight for money i can make money elsewhere you know instead of fighting so we'll see what he does no speculation of you calling it quits, but when that day comes inevitably, maybe a few years down the line, do you see yourself in a position where something can lure you back or you tease the idea, I'm coming back, I'm not coming back, or do you think when you call quits, that's it, it's all said and done? I think for me when I call it quits, it's all said and done. You know, I've been in this sport for a very long time. I have children now, and then when you hear your kids saying, Dad, I want, I want to go do this, like, trust me. Like, you know, my sister a long time, long time ago, yeah, my sister a long time ago before she passed, she said, you know, you work out every single day and you do all this stuff. I don't know how you consider it work. And I said, well, I consider it work because there's other things I'd rather be doing. That's why I consider it work because would I rather spend time with my children and go play and hang out with them or I'd rather go to the gym? I'd rather go hang out with my kids. So I consider it work. So once I'm done, I'm going to dedicate that time fully to my children and my wife. And I'm still going to work out. Like if I was driving home from, uh, driving home today and I was like, see, if I can train from when my kids are in school and when they're out of school, I think I would continue my career a lot longer, but I know that's not never going to be the case. Like I know that would never happen. If that was to happen, I would have to leave. I have to go to, I have to find a different gym because a lot of my training partners, they work full time and they have you know, obligations to their life. And so that's, you know, I was thinking about the then I was like, I will keep on fighting if I can train from, you know, nine 
9, 9.30 in the morning till 3.30, like that, that six hour time, three hour, two, hour and a half in the morning, then rest for three hours and then boom, done. When they're out of school, I'm there to pick them up. Well, in the interview with the schmo when I was in character yeah, a couple yeah. minutes ago, you finally finished the question when I asked you the MMA Mount Rushmore, who that fourth person was, you said GSP. Someone who is now breaking that welterweight record, who's competing now at UFC 261 with fans at Vistar Arena, is Kamara Usman. He's getting the rematch with Jorge Masvidal. What does Usman have to accomplish in order to surpass GSP in your eyes? Just keep on fighting. That's the biggest thing. You know, I feel like when people say, you're the greatest of all time, you're the GOAT, I feel like I didn't do anything spectacular in my eyes, right? I just kept on, I mean, yes, I did, but it's not like, for me, when people say that, and I ask people all the time, I was like, why do you guys think I'm the greatest all the time? And I was like, because you had the longest reigning title defense and you fought every single person in your division and you fought so many different styles, you know, from the karate to the jiu-jitsu artists to just so many, and I also fought for the world title 135. So you've done a lot of things in your sport and how you've handled them. It, so when I look at Kamar Usman, I think he's on that path, and the same as Israel Adesanya, I felt like when he went up and fought, uh, you know, uh, John uh, Djokovic. Did I say it right? Blahovic, I guess. Blahovic. Um, he did a great job, but you see the size difference, right? So when you go up and wait, you're giving away, you're, you're putting yourself in a disadvantage. Like, it's just the, 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 it's just, it is what it is. So I think for Kamar Usman, I think him, just keep on fighting, keep doing your thing. And then when you're ready to go up to 190, what, what, he fights 185, then you try your hand at it. If you come up short, then you come up short. But yeah, just keep on fighting. And let the community dictate that, right? I'd say the biggest thing people always try to just let the community, you do your thing, you stay in your car, you keep on driving. And then when people say, damn, you drive hella good, man, you you get a fast car, man, it's a nice ass car. Then you, you can write a praise, but don't, say I, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this. I've never done that before. I just show up, win, fight, win, come home and train again. That's what I did all the time. Well, who do you think wins between Usman and Jorge in their rematch? Well, I mean, now that Jorge Masvidal gets a full camp, and so does, uh, come on, Usman, and hopefully his ass doesn't go on a plane and get fucking pizza. Um, I don't know, it's going to be tough because I think, come on, Usman has the wrestling, the wrestling. Did he really eat that pizza? I believe it. I'm okay. going to go with it. Um, he implied that he did, so I'm going to take that he did. <laughs> um... So, you know, with a good, uh, a long camp, we'll see. You know, I feel like for the stand-up advantage, I think uh, um, Jorge Masvidal has an advantage because I, I feel like he's faster. I feel like he has more great, better combinations. He's more comfortable on the feet. And then, obviously, if he goes to the ground, you know, Usman's going to have it. But Usman's shown a lot of proof in his stand-up when he fought uh, Gilbert Burns. So we'll, 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 find what, we'll see what happens. And Ong Long An Song, the champion of one, he also trains at Sanford MMA. There's so many good camps and so many good organizations out there that I just feel like the masses don't ever really talk about. That's why we wanted to come here and talk to you, the legend, Demetrius Johnson. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, you know, the everybody follows what the media covers, right? I mean, it's like if you watch CNBC, which I watch all the time, all I'm hearing about is stocks and this company did this and this company did this, this company's at fault. So that's all I've been exposed to. But, you know, if you're, you know, following the, you know, the North American media, I mean, if I, you know, you guys, everybody, it's, you guys are going to, you guys are capturing uh, what people want to see. So I think uh, with one championship being on TNT, it's going to give exposure to the other athletes uh, to North America. And the benefit, too, with your fight April 7th, it's going to be primetime here in the United States. You might be fighting over at Singapore, but you're not going to adjust to the Singapore time. You're going to stay locally here, and uh, you'll be fighting on primetime. Yeah, I've always done that. I've, I've always uh, competed better on my 
time zone. Even when I fought in North America, when I fought for the UFC, I, you know, when I would go to fight in Florida or Toronto or Montreal, but like, God damn, I hate fighting this time zone. Can I just fight in Vegas or California or Washington State? Because it's on my time zone. I just, you, you think about it, you just spend your whole entire career training at one, a certain time zone that you got to change it up, you know, for one fight. It, it, it can kind of mess with you a little bit. And you're a student of the game. I know you're a big fan of the Pride Days, and it meant everything to you, especially when you signed over at one championship that now another side of the world could watch you fight, and you get to fight globally, which could really cement your name and a legacy that very, very few people, if any, could say at all. Yeah, I think you look at the past of like all the great athletes in the world, like Rampage Jackson, Crocrop, Kroka, Fedor Emelianenko, they fought on both sides of the pond. And I said this the other day. I said, if you, you know, for me to be to consider somebody to be one of the greatest uh, to ever do this sport, you got to fight on both sides of the pond. You got you, you have to. But then I look at John Jones. He might never fight in Japan. He might not, he might not need to. There might not be, you know, the the skill set for people to be able to challenge him over there. So, you know, it goes back and forth. But I'm glad that I'm able to compete on both sides of the pond and I've been able to, you know, do well. Well, we know you have to get ready to go train, so we don't want to keep you and your teammates uh, waiting, but we really appreciate you inviting us to your gym. It's really cool, kind of in the woods in Seattle. And I know this is AMC in Rebuilt. I know you had to get all this situated during the pandemic, go on the fly, and the best is yet to come. Yes, absolutely. And you guys are always more than welcome to come back, okay? Of course, we appreciate it. And I want to give you some gifts, too. So we have some sponsors. I have to give this to you. This is sheath underwear. It protects your balls, separates the balls from the shaft. They're the most comfortable pair of underwear I've ever worn. I figure you should wear them, too. But I think you always want to keep the balls with the shaft because it kind of coils up like an anaconda, and it keeps it warm, too. Well, what well, the difference is the guy who created this, Robert Penny, is a Iraqi war veteran. His balls would stick to the legs in that hot summer day so by separating this stuff the extra comfort it's a game changer it seems weird at first but I tr when you try it and you wear it, give it a week, you'll never want a no normal pair of underwear again. See, we call that a bat wing. When you get that stuck and you put your leg apart, and it's like a bat wing. So, yes. yeah, I'll give it a try. And then one more for you, too. Oh, okay. I, we, we come with gifts. Um, how, how are you going to top this? <laughs> we got some egg weights for you right here. Egg I mean, oh, for shadow boxing, yeah. for cardio, for running. I got a one-pound set yeah. and a half-pound set for your, your grips and everything. Yeah, I've seen these before. I've always wanted to try them, so I'm definitely going to put this in my gym bag and use these. The balls, I don't know. I like my balls together as one. So well, we'll You'll see. have to give me a review and let me know. <laughs> Sounds good. I will. <laughs> All right. April 7th. Check it out. One on TNT. One. Don't miss it. This guy's headlining. Thanks for joining us. The Schmo Zone, episode number 59. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates Northbrook, Illinois.